Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, and extraterrestrial. I'm Dave Reed. And I'm Reverend Kristen Riley, <laughs> here to tell you all about stigmata. Oh, yay. <laughs> Today on The Cast Files. I've completely forgotten the intro now. <laughs> I'm a nerd who has somehow never seen The X-Files. And I watched it when it originally aired. The Cast Files is a podcast where we watch and discuss every episode of The X-Files spoiler-free. Today we are talking about Season 3, Episode 11, Revelations. It originally aired December 15th, 1995. It was written by Kim Newton, directed by David Nutter, and this is our first episode recording in the new studio. Oh. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's literally the same room, guys. Yeah, but we rearranged our living room. We did. So this is the new studio. I see. Yes. I understand. So hopefully the sound quality is better. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> Today we are talking about Mulder and Scully attempting to protect a boy whose death could trigger the coming of Armageddon from a possibly demonic serial killer who targets people with stigmatas. That logline is misleading. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. In the cast, we have Kevin Zeggers as Kevin Kreider. He was in The Silence of Adultery. Sex, Lies, and Obsession. Oh my god. And a movie called Trans America from 2005, which I thought was going to be really problematic, but actually got nominated for two Oscars and won 32 awards. Say what? Yep. <laughs> wow. So he's in a bunch of Skinamax movies? And, and an Oscar-nominated <laughs> movie. An Oscar nominee. Okay. All right. Good for him. <laughs> we have Sam Bottoms as Michael Kreider. He was in Apocalypse Now. Good for him. Yeah. Kenneth Welsh as Simon Gates. Twin Peaks! Exclamation point. That's, he's the one evil guy. He was also in The Day After Tomorrow. Okay. I was looking forward to you telling me who he was because I knew I recognized him. So that's another Twin Peaks guy. Yeah. So many. so many. So many. We also have Michael Berryman as Owen Jarvis. He was in a ton of stuff, is in a ton of stuff. The Hills Have Eyes, Weird Science, The Devil's Rejects, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and Eminem, Without Me music video. <laughs> I mostly remember him from Weird Science. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> I remember enjoying that as a child, and I feel like I would just be appalled if I watched it today. You gotta think so. Yeah. I feel like I'm not gonna revisit it, just to... I kind of feel like revisiting it, because... What if we're surprised? We rarely are. We rarely are. We were very surprised by the first half of Garden State. Oh my god. <laughs> but not the second half. Guys, we both loved it when we were younger and then watched it somewhat recently, a mm -hmm. year ago or so. And the first half of the movie, we were like, oh my god, is this actually a good movie? Yeah. Were we right back then? And then no. <laughs> and then he yelled into the abyss and it all turned around. <laughs> as soon as he did that, it was like, oh, whew. Okay. <laughs> it was so, such a relief because we've been making fun of ourselves for liking that movie yep. for so long. It's nice to know that <laughs> we could still do that. <laughs> the final two for the cast today, we have Haley Tyson as Susan Kreider. She was in Ernest in the Army. Excellent. And? R. Lee... Ermy. Ermy. I heard his voice before we saw anything and yelled, oh my god. You did, and I apologize because the E and the the R and the M are so close together, I can't differentiate them. My R eyes are really dry. Ermy. Yes. He is Reverend Patrick Findley. 
He was in Kung Fu Panda, colon, Legends of Awesomeness. For the love of leechiness, what are you supposed to be? Sweet. He was also in Batman, colon, The Brave and the Bold. Again with the retirement talk? You know, my ticker's in tip-top shape. <laughs> Excellent. Who do you play in that? I don't know. He was also <laughs> in all of the Toy Story movies, spinoffs, and games. Yeah, he's the army guy. He's Sarge. Come in, Mother Bird. This is Alpha Bravo. This is it. Come in, this Mother is Bird. it. Quiet, 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 quiet. All right. Andy's opening the first present now. The boat's coming off. He's ripping the wrapping paper. It's a, it's, it's a, a lunchbox. Yeah. That one I knew. I knew the answer to that one. Who it was in that one. Good job. So let me tell you why everybody knows who Arlie Ermey is. Okay. Are you familiar with the movie An Officer and a Gentleman? Vaguely. Me too. I've never seen it. <laughs> I know uh, it exists. But Louis Gossett Jr. plays Richard Gere's drill sergeant Okay. in that movie. So they hired an actual drill sergeant to coach him on how to do everything. That person was Arlie Ermey. Oh, yeah. His IMDb said that he was actually in wars and stuff. Yes. This is it. He's a legit guy. So he was... Going to war makes you legit? He's a legit army guy. Okay. So he was so good in the coaching of that that the movie people were like, we got to get this guy in a movie. That's awesome. And so he was in... The first thing I ever saw him in was Full Metal Jacket. Oh, that movie made me cry when I was sleeping. He is the drill sergeant in Full Metal Jacket. Oh, yeah. You little scumbag. I got your name. I got your ass. You will not laugh. You will not cry. And half of all of the things we say as insults to people came from him. Oh. In that movie. whoever wrote it, that movie. Uh, No, he did it all. He He, was improv? He was improv for the drill sergeant stuff because he knows it way better than any Hollywood writer. That's what... maybe a legit Hollywood writer. He wrote Louis Gossett Jr.'s lines in An Officer and a Gentleman. You're really stoked about this guy. Arlie Ermey's fucking awesome. (laughs) Okay. He's also in Saving Silverman, where he, he plays Steve Zahn and young-ish Jack Black's old football coaches. Oh, so he's just a coach. yelly guy. He's a yelly guy. <laughs> and the end of the movie ends up with Jack Black like carrying him like a damsel. Oh. <laughs> and so they're just saying something. He goes, yeah, coach, uh, I'm gay. He's like, oh, really? Me too. <laughs> 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 it's so fantastic. <laughs> what about you? When are you gonna get hitched? Actually, I'm not. I'm gay. Me too. Really? In that voice. <laughs> That's great. That's good. That's a good reaction for your football coach to have. <laughs> yeah. Aw. Great movie, Saving Silverman. How awesome. All right, are you ready? Yep. We open with Reverend Findlay. Yeah. God tests our faith so that we may not take it for granted. I once gave counsel to a little girl. She was very distraught because her older brother had told her that Moses hadn't parted the Red Sea. He said that high winds and strong ocean currents had been responsible. In hearing this, the faith of this child had been severely shaken. In order to restore her credence, she had but one question for me. She asked, Reverend, Is there really such a thing as a miracle? Or are all the stories in the Bible just make-believe? Fairy tales? I assured her that yes, miracles really do happen. Most people today tend to vest themselves in science and cynicism. They expect proof for all that they see, but miracles are wonders by nature. 
They need no rationale, no justification. You must witness the miracles of the Lord without question. Then he starts bleeding. Yep. All right, can you do just the first line over again, but do an Arlie Ermy impression? God tests our faith so that we may not take it for granted. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. I love doing an impression for someone who I can't recall immediately in my head. <laughs> I mean, I can see him, but his voice. So the minister named Reverend Patrick Finley in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania, faked stigmatic injuries to his hands during that sermon. There are two things that I noted here. Incredible work, not getting fake blood on your crisp white shirt. The cleanest stigmata ever. So very clean. And when he's backstage pretending to take off his makeup, at first I said, this is a man who's never taken off makeup before. But then I realized he doesn't want to take off his makeup because he still has oh. to be in front of the camera. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> you said that, and I was like, yeah, probably not. But you're right. Yep. <laughs> he really is very used to wearing makeup. Yep. A couple of notes. Revelations became a minor storyline milestone for the series with the exploration of Scully's faith as a Roman Catholic. Throughout the remainder of the series, her Catholic faith served as a cornerstone, although at times a contradiction to her otherwise rigid skepticism of the paranormal. Furthermore, while Mulder is usually the believer and Scully is usually the skeptic, Revelations features a role reversal with Scully becoming the believer and Mulder becoming the skeptic, a move that Duchovny called, quote, a refreshing change of pace. I have something to say about that at the end of the episode. Great. What does Chris Carter think? Chris Carter thinks this is a fantastic episode. It's one of the best to date. Kim Newton, great job writing. David Nutter killing it, as usual. David yes. Nutter, rock star at this point. He is Chris Carter's go-to guy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Chris Carter later emphasized that the theme of this episode was more on personal belief rather than organized religion, noting, quote, the episode deals with faith, not religion with a capital R, or Catholicism with a capital C. So I would like to tell you a little bit about stigmata. Okay, yeah, that's just the personal faith sort of thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in this paper called Blood, Gender, and Power in Christianity and Judaism, from a, I believe it's a thesis from someone at Kenyon University in Ohio. Okay. This line tells you all you need to know for the rest of this episode, at least about stigmata. Ready? Ready. In all, there are around 321 generally accepted stigmata, and 62 of these people have been beatified, which means they've been sainted. There are no examples before the 13th century, which is wild to me. Yeah, that means one guy got rich Started. doing it. Interestingly, there are only 41 examples of males experiencing stigmata. Oh, interesting. Yep. The suffering of the stigmata is the most important aspect of this miracle. There are instances of invisible stigmata. <laughs> what? Stigmata where there are no visible signs. All that is present is the suffering associated with stigmata. Oh, I'm going to get that. Stigmata represents a very real connection with the sufferings of Christ. Those who experience stigmata are those who have most fervently wanted it. They want to experience the sufferings of Christ so that they may associate with him and so that their sufferings will benefit others. How does their suffering benefit others? I have no idea. I like the line, the people who get it are the people who want to get it. Right? I also love that Chris Carter thinks having a whole episode about stigmata is not about Catholicism. <laughs> yeah. All right, guy. 
<laughs> All right. After the sermon, uh, Reverend Finley is visited by a white-haired man named Simon Gates, who strangles him, and Mr. Gates's hands smoke while he does so. Can you imagine instant consequences for religious fuckery? Instant karma's gonna get you. Yep. I he is gonna get <laughs> He immediately became my most hated villain of the series. Right. For, for taking Arlie Ermy out of the episode. You were so mad. You were so excited I'm when he first said so a word mad. and then he was gone in the in cold the cold open. open. So yeah, I hate this villain more than anything. Else. <laughs> I was so planning on just putting Arlie Ermy drops throughout the entire episode, and I might still do it. <laughs> we'll see. You had best unfuck yourself or I will unscrew your head and shut down your neck. Pay attention. See if you guys can uh, hear it. Yeah. <laughs> well, to build off of Chris Carter's belief that this is not about Catholicism, this story idea was inspired by Francesco Forgione, a.k.a. Pio of Petrosina, sorry, a friar, priest, and mystic of the Roman Catholic Order of Friars Minor Capuchin, who experienced stigmata beginning in 1918 until his death in 1968, and he was canonized as a Roman Catholic saint in 2002. <laughs> yeah, not about Catholicism. Just letting you know yeah. that it's not about Catholicism. Okay, I'm glad. In case you were wondering. A little bit. It isn't. Okay. The agents investigate the case, of course. Mulder says that the minister was the 11th fake stigmatic who has been killed over the past three years in a series of international murders. I'm always so curious when he's doing this research. This feels like a BuzzFeed article. 11 fake stigmatics worldwide. <laughs> you won't believe what happens next. <laughs> I will. <laughs> I do appreciate, though, Mulder does uh, some quick profiling here in this scene. Mm -hmm. Which, if this is his 11th, or his 12th? Why does he have to do some quick profiling? <laughs> I guess they don't... Well, they don't know who the person is. This is victim 12. You can have your profile done before you get here. I don't think he's actually investigating the other ones. He's just kind of like reading newspaper clippings about them. He's got a Google alert sense. about fake stigmatics worldwide yeah. getting killed. Yeah, okay. It's a very specific Google alert. No, I, I like it. I like that explanation. <laughs> Meanwhile, at an elementary school in Loveland, Ohio, a boy, Kevin Kreider, starts bleeding from the palms of his hands. No, he starts slowly walking up to the chalkboard, very slowly, while I say, he's about to get stigmata, because I called that shit. <laughs> yeah. I made, I made some good predictions while I, watching this. Yep, you did do that. And the whole thing was, Kevin was getting called out by his teacher and dragged to the chalkboard and he, made fun of about math. Because he was being a class clown over there. Yeah, he did a... We need to shut that shit down. Creativity? Ooh, not in public school. Nope, that's not what it's there for. We ain't having that. Well, she gets she says a lot of things that would be appalling to hear in a classroom. And then she asks him if he knows what a division symbol looks like. And he drew one that I would not have drawn. <laughs> well, then his hands started bleeding. Yeah, he, still, he drew the one that looks like a, like a little tent with one side open <laughs> and i would have drawn the line with the dots on either side. i see i see well it depends on what kind of division you'd been doing in class the day before probably probably i was just saying the little tent the little tent i can't figure out a different way to describe it all right <laughs> i said what names do you think they called him for the rest of his school career <laughs> he goes up to the front of the classroom and just starts bleeding bloody marty probably 
The agents arrive and meet with a social worker who claims that Kevin has suffered injuries before and that his father was institutionalized, adding that Kevin was in danger from evil forces. His father said that Kevin was in danger from evil forces, and the social worker says, whenever something like this happens, what, a child becomes stigmatic? They immediately think of child abuse. Right. And he has very clear puncture wounds on the palms of yes. his hands. And he wasn't bleeding before this moment. Again, we have a situation where a person is clearly not covered in blood, suddenly is covered in blood. He didn't show up with the wounds. No. It was a shortcut to be able to tell us that his father was institutionalized, I think. Yeah, speaking of shortcuts. In this episode here, I think we finally have to concede the fact that Mulder and Scully can teleport. <laughs> yes! Because they, where were they first? They were in Pennsylvania. Yes, Pennsylvania, and now they're in Ohio immediately. Before he gets bandaged up. That's right. <laughs> they teleport. There's no other way around it. And I know that we haven't taken our wilderness first aid yet. That's in a couple of weeks. But I would have cleansed those wounds and then put gauze on the palm of his hand before wrapping them. But... I guess that's just me. I would have taken some leaves and then chewed them up <laughs> and then put them on the wounds. <laughs> Wish you have mixed it with some sheep dung. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bandaged it up. Oh, man. Some boiled down cow urine. Boiled down cow urine. Mm-hmm. That's what they used in the 13th Warrior. Oh, geez. What is that? How does... Doesn't that just evaporate? No, it's like makes it into a paste. Or at least it did in the 13th quarter. Okay, no, it wouldn't, because it would just be liquid that you would boil. It's like a reduction, a cow urine reduction. It thickens it up a bit. It doesn't, though. A cow urine reduction. It wouldn't thicken it up. You'd have to put something else in there. (laughs) Some sort of thickening agent. What do you put in gravy? Uh, Flour. What else do you put in gravy? There's, like, corn flour? No, just milk. Milk and flour. Hmm. I don't know. I don't And fat. You have to have fat. None of those things are in cow urine <laughs> in any amount to think I'm it making up. a reduction, not a gravy. If I want to make cow urine gravy, that's a different thing. I guess so. Yuck. I'm never eating gravy, <laughs> which I already don't, so it's... <laughs> yes, you do. I make gravy for you all the time. All the time? Constantly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's been a while, but I have biscuits, so I'm planning on doing one sometime. Not anymore, not after the cow urine gravy discussion we just had. <laughs> you can keep your biscuits. Everybody, I make great vegetarian sausage gravy. It's really, really good. And you need to stop being a jerk and tell everybody how good of a cook I am. It doesn't include cow urine because the vegetarian recipe doesn't call for it. No, it doesn't. Okay, so the school and social worker want to put Kevin back into a shelter which I can't imagine is safer than going home when they don't know who's after him. And then I said, well, maybe? They do have protocols to keep scary men out of shelters, so maybe it would be safer? Now I'm not sure. And then this is Charlie's note. She stepped on my computer and did two lowercase q, a, uppercase q, and then a bunch of little carrots. That was her contribution. Well, I hope she's happy that you read it On on the air. On the air? Yep. On the pod. On mic. On mic. You did it. You got there. Oof. All of that cow urine gravy. It's, uh, yeah. It's thick. It's thick. It makes your brain thick. The agents visit Kevin's father because they decide that Kevin is acting out in order to get his father's attention and see him. Because he feels guilty. Oh, also, 
Kevin's temperature is 115 or yeah, something. Kevin's dead. Right. So they give Kevin a thermometer, which actually with that end, that red end, is an anal thermometer. Oh! And not, I'm sure they didn't use it for anything, but that's what they used as the prop. And we see it, the temperature rising as it's under his tongue, and it goes up to like 104, and then the whole shatters. thing shatters. Yeah, so Kevin's dead. Except he's yelling that he didn't do anything. Yeah, well, dead men don't break thermometers. That's true. At least usually not. Mulder thinks that he's basically acting out in order to see his dad, so then they're going to go talk to his dad. They keep calling his wounds cuts. Right. That frustrated the hell out of me. I know, you wouldn't stop talking about it. I'm not going to stop talking about it now, too. Okay. Because they were clearly not cuts. They weren't. Okay, I guess I'm going to stop talking about okay. that. Okay. <laughs> I could just say that over and over again. You could, but it's... I think people would tune out. Yep, I just did. So they talk to Kevin's father, who claims that his son is the chosen one and that evil forces will come to kill him as part of the great war between good and evil. His dad says that he has been in danger since he was born, and uh, that was well before he started saying that Kevin was in danger. So was Kevin showing signs of stigmata as an infant? In the womb. Has he just been bleeding before? Because throughout the episode, once he started bleeding at the chalkboard, he doesn't stop this whole episode. No. But he wasn't bleeding before that. I think it has something to do with... Stress? Gates. You think Gates is causing it? Or the alignment of... Good and evil? Yeah. Something like that. Because later on... Or maybe it's here. No, it's here where Kevin's dad says he's bleeding again, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely not something that happens constantly. So do you think Gates was close to him before? Or some other evil entity? Some other person who went to Jerusalem and got Jerusalem syndrome? Well, no, that guy's clearly not got a syndrome. He has a demon. That's true. Yes, he got a demon. Well, they take Kevin to the shelter. At the shelter, Kevin has friends, so it's not as bad as, as we all expected. They're staying up late, telling scary stories. It seems pretty rad, actually. In Kevin's story, he says the devil is a bald guy. As he's talking, Owen Jarvis walks down the hall to the boys' dorm, scaring the other children away and taking Kevin. So I guess there isn't actually any security. <laughs> Not even a little. And here's where I made another prediction, because okay. it was a commercial break right after that. Yep. And I said, Michael Berryman, good guy. This red is a... Red herring. Red herring is what you said. What do I... Misdirect. This there is a go. misdirect. You didn't like it when I said it last time, but you also didn't come up with the word you were looking for. No. So. <laughs> Misdirect is the word I was looking for. All right. Kevin's mother arrives the next day while the cops are there looking around at no Kevin being at the shelter that they said he would be safe in. Look at all this no Kevin here. <laughs> and somehow she does not assault literally everyone in the room. <laughs> Good job, her, I guess. I, I would have watched that scene. I Justified, but not helpful in the long run. Yeah, but... Have the cops been helpful? Sure, they put him in a place where he was clearly unsafe. Yes. How is that helpful? It's helping the forces of evil. I guess. Which is typically what the cops are there for. I guess that's true. The cops get a sketch from the kids. The kids describe the guy, and it really sounds like they're describing the person from Kevin's story. And when the mother looks at the sketch, I don't know if the mother and father have names actually, but... They don't in my write-up. Scully goes, yeah, we're not really sure how accurate that is. And the mother goes, oh, that's Owen. Yeah, it's very accurate. It looks and she's like, like him. what? 
Owen Jarvis is someone that she hired to do yard work for the family after Kevin's father left. She said after he left, but he went into an institution, so... He committed a crime, and then he held a gun, and yeah. then he went to an institution. It was a lot. I would just say he left, too, actually. you know what? That's <laughs> he went to college. Shorthand. It's just fine. Uh, <laughs> this is before I knew what was happening. I said, are we demonizing working class? Have we had a corporate baddie? I mean, beyond the Cigarette Smoking Association? Or is it manual labor, fire, mm-hmm. teaching, and low-ranking military? This might be our first one. So, um, we see Owen talking to Kevin. Owen is showing Kevin some little wooden creatures that he has carved. And he has carved two by two and created an entire arc. Two by two, Noah sailed the ocean blue. Yep. Owen asks Kevin if he likes the creatures and the ark and kevin says owen when can i go home and owen says that he can't go home because it's not safe owen is his guardian angel here is a little heartbreaking note or heartwarming note depending on how you're feeling in the moment (laughs) okay actor michael berryman has said that this was his favorite role in his career and credits it for reversing typecasting that always put him in the role of the monster (laughs) yeah favorite role of his career yeah because he's not a bad guy. Yeah. I read that and I was just like, oh. And the whole time I'm watching this episode, I'm like, he doesn't look like a bad guy. Mm-mm. He doesn't look scary. Yeah, when you put extra makeup on him and stuff, he does. But if of you course. put extra makeup on anybody. And if he made scary faces, he would look scary. But he doesn't make scary faces. Yeah. He's He looks concerned. He no. makes concerned faces. Michael Berryman <laughs> makes everything he's in better. Yeah. He's really good. Yeah. But, oh, his favorite of his career because they reversed typecasting. Mm-hmm. Come on, Hollywood. <laughs> what? No. Oh, We're not coming on. <laughs> As the agents arrive at Owen's house, Owen rushes downstairs with a shotgun, but doesn't fight the agents. When Scully walks past Owen, he says, don't hurt him, please. Heartbreak emoji. <laughs> yeah, that's the noise you kept making. <laughs> oh, oh. Scully finds the attic rope swinging, and as she walks up the ladder, Kevin mysteriously disappears. Now, did you notice they show Kevin at the window when she pulls down the stairs? Yes. And then when she gets up the stairs, Kevin's gone, but the ark is knocked over. Yes. Why the hell did Kevin knock the ark over? It's like he did the Dave Chappelle knocking over the water (laughs) pitcher and then running away. Right? That was a hefty sized arc he would have had to put some power behind it it's just such a weird choice it really is it's a very weird choice and it didn't make any noise so I, balsa wood maybe maybe hmm. yep owen claims he was asked by god to protect kevin and criticizes scully for her faith not being as strong as his oh he lets scully have it it was good it was real good just because you're not ready to make a sacrifice doesn't mean I have to follow your rules. I loved it. It was really good. Oh, he's so good. And then he jumps out of the window. And I, I was like, oh no. Yeah, me too. I was so scared. <laughs> I, I actually wrote, it's intense. <laughs> it, it was. I do love the grass there. It looks soft. Not soft enough to catch you from jumping out of a two-story or a second floor window and landing on your head. But <laughs> With glass sticking out of your oh, face. Oh my god. But it would have been great for picnicking. Yes, I agree. 
Uh, Owen gets up and runs away. He's still handcuffed. I forgot to mention that Mulder handcuffed him to the chair or handcuffed behind him behind the chair. chair. Kevin arrives at oh, his... Oh, but he breaks the handcuffs when he... Oh, yeah, I yeah. forgot. Yeah. Okay, so when he lands, yeah, he does the... I don't know. Hulk's out. That's it. I was trying to think of some sort of comic book creature who did that. I guess Hulk. Or um, Danny Gonzalez in that Troom Troom escapes <laughs> <laughs> <tapes> video. <laughs> we were all surprised when he broke out of that duct tape. <laughs> yep. Him most of all. Right. Kevin arrives at his home, but his mother isn't there. But it's night, so I don't know. She was like, I'm free of that little shit for once. <laughs> She's out at the club. Gates, the guy from the opening, rings the doorbell. Which I thought was interesting. And then burns the internal parts of the doorknob so he can enter. It was eerie. It was dope. Yeah. Kevin hides, but apparently bleeds constantly, so that gives him away. So he just shoves his bleeding hands up against the hamper that he's in. What an awful job of hiding he does. Remember when Scully killed that guy in the disease episode? Yep. Kevin kills Michael Berryman here. Ooh. There's three things I know. Scully killed the guy in that episode. Kevin kills Michael Berryman. And Johnny Depp killed River Phoenix. In real life? Yes. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yep. My band had a song called Johnny Depp Killed River Phoenix. Oh, my gosh. So, Gates finds Kevin, which David just said. But at that moment, Owen arrives to protect him. Gates turns on Owen, burden choking him to death. Awful. Yeah. Kevin... Runs out of the closet where he was hiding, and he runs down the stairs and runs directly into Mulder and Scully. And now he asks Scully if she is the one who was sent to protect him. <laughs> it was the right person to ask. <laughs> Don't ask Mulder. He doesn't have time for this. He's like, I've got too much porn in my house. I can't have children around. And no bed. Nobody sleeps in this bed. Sorry if you guys can hear that dog. Yeah. It's not our dog. Scully performs an autopsy and finds that Owen's corpse is not decaying, even though he's been dead for 14 hours. How fast is it for the body to start decaying? Almost immediately. Okay. Because of all of the... Bacteria? Bacteria, yep. You've got a lot of organisms living in your same body. Uh, And rigor mortis starts within two hours, I believe. It's like two to six hours. Okay. Since I did rigor mortis in a different episode, I didn't do it again here, but I remember it being in that, that time frame. It's pretty, it's quicker than I had originally thought. Yeah, if you guys want to know about rigor mortis, go back and listen to all of our episodes until you find that one. <laughs> Helpful. So Scully is very taken with this. Obviously, it would be interesting as a medical doctor. Fascinating. Yes. But it reminds her of the corruptibles that she learned about in catechism. Incorruptibles. Oh, Yes. The incorruptibles. Oh, so she talks to Mulder. Mulder comes in. She, she asks Mulder to smell him. <laughs> Which is kind of weird. And he's like... I'm giving Mulder some benefit of the doubt on this one. Because he, he does it. He's like, you want me to smell okay. him? Okay. All right. I thought he was a good partner in this scene. He was. He, he did a good job here. Because he was definitely like, okay. you seem serious. All right. And he says, what am I supposed to be smelling? And that's when she tells him about the incorruptibles and catechism. And he's like, Scully, what? And she (laughs) says, well, isn't a saint or a holy person just another term for someone who's abnormal? And I said, only if you go by the definition of the word abnormal. Yep. And I Googled how to become a saint. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a three-step process, right? Uh, Yeah. So from 
An article from Al Jazeera, a formal request for an individual to be considered for sainthood is submitted to a special Vatican tribunal. The request must explain how the person lived a life of holiness, pureness, kindness, and devotion. If the candidate meets the requirements, the tribunal officially recognizes the person to be a servant of God. So really, it has nothing to do with whether or not your body decays in a regular or irregular manner. I thought you had to perform two miracles. Miracles have to happen after your death. Oh, after your death. Yep. Okay. Well, Mulder also drops the ball here at the end of the scene. Mulder tells Scully not to let her faith cloud her judgment. Yes, he says, your faith is overwhelming your judgment. Mm. Which is another person telling Dana Scully that her judgment is clouded. Yeah. And he also says, these people are simply fanatics. Well, if they're simply fanatics with no... Let's just go with powers whatsoever. Then why do these people have handprints burned into their neck? Right. And I'm not even talking about the fingerprints that we see at the end of the scene. Right. You can look at their neck and see that it's a hand that right. burned into them. Yeah. Why, oh why, does Fox Mulder not believe that these people have weird powers? I don't know. Of all people, Fox Mulder should be like, oh, that's a weird power. Right. I'm super into this. But he's not because he has to be antagonistic to Scully, unless he's smelling a man. <laughs> yes, they find out that they find handprints on Owen's neck, and so they get them basically fingerprinted. It turns out that the handprints on Owen's neck belong to Simon Gates, who is a rich and powerful executive. And I said, yes, who has Jerusalem syndrome. So Jerusalem syndrome is, it's when people who visit the Holy Land suffer religious delusions induced by the journey. They return home convinced they're the Messiah, Moses, the Virgin Mary, even the devil himself. Well, if it's what Simon Gates believes, he's just as delusional as Michael Kreider, only a lot more dangerous. One, of course he's a lot more dangerous than Michael Kreider. He's been murdering Simon Gates people. has murdered a bunch of people. Michael Kreider has not murdered a bunch of people or anyone. He did have a gun, which I know is a bad look around his son. He wasn't trying to kill his son. He's trying to protect his son. Kevin travels with his mother in a car, which breaks down. I hate that for them. This scene is possibly the weirdest thing I've seen in the X-Files. <laughs> Go ahead and say why. Everything about this entire scene is so strange. Do you want to go through the thing and then... Or do you want a Dave Reed recap? Go ahead. You do it. Okay, her car's overheating because it does that all the time. The guy from Twin Peaks comes up and says, hey, let me help you. And she's like, no, no thanks. And he's even worse than the tow truck driver in Oubliette. Yes. Because he's like, here, let me show you that I can't be burned by this hot thing. And then she realizes, oh, something's wrong. And then earlier in the scene, uh, we find out Kevin can clone himself. And be seen in two different places at once. Is that a saint thing? Is that a stigmata thing? Did Jesus clone himself? It's a Catholic thing. It's a Catholic thing? A capital C Catholic thing. Okay, well this is not about capital C Catholicism, Kristen. I know, Kristen. I, that's why I didn't bring it up yet. Okay, so you have something about that? Great. I have a short thing about it. That's great. I can't wait to hear it because I'm so confused by it. But Kevin's in two places at once. And apparently now three because then he shows himself over in a field says, hey, mister, come chase me, chase me, chase me, chase me. <laughs> and then wiggles his little butt. So Twin Peaks guy takes off after him, and 
turns a corner and he's gone and then yeah. Kevin in the car is like hey mom mom you're okay you can drive it's fine you have spearhead trauma but you can drive still it's cool and she, oh yes because you missed the part where Twin Peaks guy slams her head into the concrete oh yeah he just like because oh when clone Kevin takes off she tries to grab him and stop him and yeah. he just backhands her and throws her directly throws her the ground. face first into the concrete so she's driving while oh no he turns the corner, Kevin's gone, and then turns around and she just runs into him with her car, which the, I'm like, that's a great move. It's the best scene for her. Beautiful move. Until you turn around and show her in the car and she's just out of it. So she didn't do that on purpose. She's just a menace to everybody on the road. I would. I like to say that that was her last cognitive decision. Okay. Because right after this, she fucking dies. <laughs> she just goes nose first into a ditch and she dies. dies. Kevin is having the worst two days. He really is. And, uh, yeah. It's such a weird scene. <laughs> yes, it is. Production note, because we need a little break here, a little breather. According to co-producer Paul... Rabwin, the episode had been rewritten a number of times, even when it was already in production. So this script was a huge mess. Oh, okay. Huge mess. Uh, the producers felt it was difficult to, quote, sell the concept of religious magic, unquote. For instance, the bilocating. So that's what he's supposed to be doing. He's okay. supposed to be bilocating. So there's supposed to be two of him sometimes. But it doesn't explain how, and it doesn't explain why, and it doesn't explain that plus stigmata. It's just more religious magic, just like Gates. Okay. Because Gates is religious magic, too. If you're gonna have the devil, you have to admit that he is also a religious magic. Yes. Just saying, because people don't like to do that. No, I got you, because that's part of my thing at the end. Alright. Scully tells Kevin she'll protect him, because she's done a bang-up job so far. His <laughs> mother is dead. But also that she'll take him back to the shelter he was abducted from. And he's like, uh, no thanks. He was taken from the shelter by Owen, which was okay. But how lucky do you think this kid will be by getting abducted by two guardian angels in two days? Probably not. That's some bad odds. Yeah. Save some angels for the rest of us, kid. <laughs> <laughs> so she ends up saying that she's not actually going to take him back to the shelter. She wants to take him to a hotel and protect him there with Mulder. So they bring him to a hotel where Scully notices an additional wound on Kevin's side. <laughs> it said because kids don't have any concept of personal space and start stripping. Yeah, the weirdness continues. You said it was weird and because you didn't grow up with a small, you didn't grow up with a kid growing up. Yeah, that would be weird. No, but kids do that. Okay. When he did that, I was, so Kevin's in the bathroom. Scully's running him a bath. He knows the next thing to do is get into the tub. I don't think he probably would have stripped all the way, but kids won't think about it. They're just like, I'm in the bathroom, I'm getting in the shower, I'm, or getting in the tub, I've got to take off this. They just go into auto mode. So, I didn't think it was that weird. But you thought it was crazy. I did. Scully excuses herself from the bathroom and is really upset. She goes to talk to Mulder, who's salty that Scully never draws him a bath. And says, of course Kevin has a scratch on his side because he was in an accident. Scully becomes upset that Mulder will not even consider that a miracle is possible. Which makes sense after all the bullshit she's had to put up with from Mulder. I agree. Like, at least hear her out. Lightning Boy is stopping people's hearts. Right. Come on. 
Come on. You can't get on board with fire hands guys choking people out? Come on! There's evidence! Yeah. That's what you guys all want. That's what she wants. He doesn't even need that. That's true. He, he doesn't. just needs a good story. There's a bit more of a goof about bilocation and Catholicism. When Scully discusses Kevin's apparent bilocation with Mulder, she cites it as a miracle attributed to St. Ignatius. So there you go. Oh, did that get... That must have been in the shooting script, but I didn't see it in the episode. They were talking about it. Did they really? She mentioned bilocation. She didn't... Oh, I totally missed it. Yep. In fact, this is not a miracle attributed to either St. Ignatius, but to Francesco Forgione, who I mentioned at the beginning, the famous stigmatic and saint. And none of the men appear in the Bible. So it isn't a biblical story. Oh, so it's, not big C Catholicism. I guess not. All right. Good job, Chris Carter. Yeah. <laughs> I wish people could have seen the face you made. <laughs> that was amazing. I wish I could have seen the face I made because I don't know what made <laughs> you laugh. It was so good. It was like you were super surprised that Chris Carter got something <laughs> right. And like kind of impressed, but in a way that just like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> Never thought she could do it. Additionally, Mulder says that it was just a parable. Parables are stories told by Jesus in the Bible and only occur in the Gospels. Any stories of saints in the Bible appear after Jesus' death. So they got all their religious stuff mixed up. Oh, good, good job. Good job, Chris Carter. <laughs> As they talk, Gates breaks into the bathroom through the bars on the window. He superheats them so he can bend them. Nuts. Instead of just melting them entirely. Yeah, but it was cooler to look at. I would have melted them entirely. Well. So they'd still be dripping when somebody else saw them? Yeah. They yeah. were still lit up. They were. They were red hot. They were They were red hot, do not touch. But somehow he got him out of that he bathroom. In, and maybe they teleport too. Okay, so Ooh. they can bilocate and then just reappear and then just bloop over to the bilocated one. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. And was Kevin naked in the bathtub? He wasn't when we see him later. So the guy gave him clothes back because he was taking his clothes off and they were in the bathroom or he in the bedroom. He had stopped taking his clothes off. Do you think he just stood? He <laughs> is like a seven-year-old. He probably got distracted and... He just stood there staring at the water. <laughs> probably. In deep thought. I... What is this all about? Also, what I... I have seen children do, yeah. I just killed Michael Berryman. Like... <laughs> What's it all for? Nothing. It's all for not. Scully returns to see Kevin's father and ask, why did she go? So after he gets kidnapped in world record time, yeah. they have a short argument out in the parking lot. Scully wants to go see Kevin's dad. Mulder's like, he's in trouble right now. We need to do something. And she's like, well, I want to go talk to his dad, though. Standing here isn't helping either. Which is true. Which but... is true, but you could stop standing there. But does, uh, Like, does... he just got kidnapped. No, I know, but is there any reason that they go see the dad? Because Scully wants to. That's it, though. That's it. Scully wants to go talk to the dad. I guess that's why I don't have it in my notes, because it doesn't actually make sense. They so super didn't chase this guy down. No. Because when we see him argue in the parking lot, there's a bunch of cops. Yes. World record kidnapping. And also, the cops showed up real fast, because... Or Scully and Mulder just hung out for an hour before doing anything. Could be. Well, they go see Kevin's dad. Scully's asking him a bunch of questions, but he's giving weird answers, a According to how he had been answering. He doesn't remember anything he no. said that first time because he's on them good drugs. Well, he's incredibly tranquilized. And I just wrote, I didn't have anything smart to say here, so I just wrote commentary on how we deal with people we don't want to deal with. Or 
They were like, here, have a sampler platter. No, that's not what they were doing. Tune out, man. No. They gave him a blacklight poster Mm -mm. and some Hendrix. Stop making this sound like a vacation I want to take. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me feel better if that's what he's doing. It's not. It's not what's happening. Scully theorizes that Gates has brought Kevin to a recycling plant he owns in Jerusalem, Ohio, because one of the things that Kevin's father kept saying was, go to the end, go to the beginning. What does he say? Something about a circle. He says, uh, you have to go full circle to find the truth. And at the beginning of the episode, I was like, oh, she has to become psychic again. Because she used to be psychic. She has to go full circle. I was wrong about that prediction. Yes. That's right. Because of the full circle recycling logo. Which I thought it was interesting. In the X-Files universe, the recycling logo is a circle and not a triangle. I wonder if it was a circle before. I am positive it's always been a triangle. I don't know. Unless this is a Mandela effect thing and I'm in the wrong universe. Probably not. Mulder thinks that Gates has headed to the airport because a man matching Gates' description has been reported as trying to rent a, rent car. a car under a name that they know that he's, yeah, that they've used before. So he can also bilocate. Does Farrow mean anything to anybody? Uh, Mulder said it's one of the devil's disciples. Oh, okay. I didn't look that part up. Yeah, I can't verify that. I can neither confirm nor deny it. Mulder thinks Scully believes that she's been chosen to protect Kevin. Scully says if she's wrong, she'll meet him at the airport, then leaves. And rather than going with his partner and calling literally anyone else to head to the airport, he lets her go alone. It's a nice instance of Scully leaving her partner instead of Mulder leaving his. She's like, okay, bye. Scully arrives at the recycling plant where Gates tells Kevin that he must die for the new age to come. Awesome set, by the way. I really liked the it, recycling center. I think it must have been on location at a recycling center. Yeah, it was really cool. It reminded me of weird field trips we used to take in elementary school. Like, we're at the water treatment plant. And you're like, why are we going here? And then you go there and you're like, oh, this is kind of cool, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the fluke man? Right. Oh, there's something in your water. It reminded me of a recycling center that I delivered to a bunch of times. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Which made me think when one of them pushes over one of the stacks of paper, that thing weighs like 17,000 pounds. Yeah, it does. And it was just a one-handed shove. Yeah. Well, props to the prop department coming up. <laughs> All right, we need one of these to be able to be pushed over. Yeah, you're not going to be able to do that. Right. That'll kill everybody in a three-mile radius. <laughs> <laughs> It'll cause earthquakes. It'll make those otters on YouTube upset. They do not like earthquakes. They get upset all day. Don't do it. Gates attempts to jump into a paper shredding machine with Kevin. But first, Scully pulls her gun when -hmm. she is clearly not intending to use it. I need Scully to go to the damn shooting range. Because he shows her his back. He's just like, here, shoot me here. I'll turn around. The kid's not in danger. Get me now. And she's like... Nah. (laughs) Nope. So instead, he jumps into a paper shredding machine with Kevin. Which was awesome, by the way. Really was. because So dope. Because the next thing, we see them go over the edge, and then the next thing that we see is inside the shredder, and it's paper and blood. And a hand. Yep. That is commitment. It really was. That is commitment to the cause, and I... This show is not afraid to murder children. Yeah. But Kevin does not die because then I guess the apocalypse would happen. Yeah, and this is so it, one of the least plausible things ever. But I, whatever, I'll let it go. He's just hanging on to nothing. 
Yeah, I feel like that guy's body weight would have pulled him. Easily. Yeah. Easily. Well, he's hanging onto the side. Scully puts her gun down and pulls him out of the paper shredder. Oh, wow. Good catch. I didn't even catch that. Yep. Also, this whole scene would be really horrifying, so I kept watching how they were shooting it because you obviously couldn't have them standing up there with the shredder going on behind them and, like, play acting it because it would be incredibly dangerous. And the way that they cut the shots, you can tell that it's separate. It's not on when they're up there, which is great because that would be freaking scary. And then I was thinking, people have to work in those conditions. (laughs) Yeah. My goodness. (sighs) Two days later, Scully and Kevin say goodbye. Kevin tells Scully that he'll see her again. So she thinks that he is the savior of the world and must be protected at all costs. And is like, okay, into the system with you now. Okay, bye! (laughs) What the hell? David, nothing bad happens to kids in the system. What are you talking about? (laughs) Are they going to get one door guard for this new place he's going to go to? So he can't just get kidnapped in the middle of the night with zero effort? (laughs) None. No effort at all. Just Just the most kidnapped boy on the planet. (laughs) That's why Scully identifies with him so much. But we can't talk about that. We cannot talk about Scully's abduction stories whenever it is relevant to the story. (laughs) The two most kidnapped people on the planet. But we couldn't talk about it in Oubliette. Scully um, wants to go to confession. Oh, Mulder says, hey, we're going to go make a statement to the sheriff. And she's like, you do it. I got something else to do. Mulder wasn't there. How on earth is, can Mulder make a statement? Mulder's statement is going to be, I don't know. Here's what my partner told me happened. I guess he jumped. Yeah. He definitely didn't get shot. I can tell you that because <laughs> Dana Scully would never shoot anybody. <laughs> unless Darren Morgan wrote the episode. Because yes. he's the only one that treats her right. <laughs> right. And Darren Morgan didn't write this one. Even with all the rewrites, didn't get that in. Yeah, so she tells Mulder she'd really appreciate it if he did the statement, and she has an errand to run, so she goes to confession. It's the first time she goes in six years. The priest asks if she is there to confess, and she says, no, not really. I'm just here because I usually talk to my partner about this stuff, and I can't. And she is confused and upset, admitting that she was raised a Catholic but has drifted away from the church. She admits at being to being unsettled by the things she has witnessed, and even more unsettled by the fact that Mulder, usually the more credulous of the two of them, has not seen any of the things that she's seen. The priest advises her, quote, sometimes we must come full circle to find the truth, unquote. <gasps> Unconsciously echoing the re- recycling symbol Scully has seen several times earlier in the episode and asks her if she is starting to doubt her own judgment. Scully says that mostly it makes her afraid. That if miracles really do occur, then that means, quote, God is speaking, but that no one is listening, unquote. Whoa. Yep. Deep. So before we get to the next little bit, Zach Hanlon from the AV Club. If there's a Christian God in the X-Files universe, doesn't that trump just about everything else that Mulder and Scully have spent their time on? There are too many implications here for the show to support. And while it doesn't destroy the episode, it does make it difficult for me to back it as fully as I'd like to. Unquote. I can understand that. Yep. It's similar to things I have to say in a second. But remember, it's not about Catholicism. <laughs> no. And uh, the last little bit before I let you take off. This is the first of two scripts for the series by writer Kim Newton. Her second, The X-Files Quagmire, was equally troubled and had to be hastily rewritten. <laughs> Newton was not invited back to the writing staff for the fourth season. Wow. Excellent. 
Yep. I can't wait to watch Quagmire. I know! So that was a tiny bit of a spoiler about who wrote it. Okay, so we've covered a bit enough uh, about how Mulder should be believing about how there are weird powers involved here. Mm -hmm. So we don't really need to go through that more. He He should just automatically be on board with weird power stuff. Right. What I want to talk about is Mulder has believed in demons in two episodes already. Kalashari and Dehand Deverletzt. Oh, yeah. So if he's believing in demons already, why is he so quick to disbelieve that this guy's a demon? I don't know. And by extension, that this kid's actually a savior figure or whatever. Or at least something magic's happening with him. Right. He doesn't have to be a savior figure. He could just be weirdly bleeding, but it's... And Miracle Man. He believes in miracles and Miracle Man. He's inconsistent in his... Religious. Yes. Beliefs. And it would be different if he had some pushback because of the Catholicism angle. And then as things kept progressing, like the burned fingerprints on Owen's neck, that's when he came around to be like, wait a second. All right. I understand that. Fine. Maybe I'm not going to buy into it that it's Bible stuff. But it's definitely magic stuff, which I am into. Right. Finger guns. Finger guns. Which... Uh, AV Club guy, what he said about... Zach Hanlon? Yeah. So maybe it's not exactly a Christian god, but there are malevolent and benevolent forces in the world that are presenting as religious because... That's how we would interpret them. uh, Yeah, that's how we would interpret them, and maybe that's where the religion came from, even though it's not like a god. Yeah, that would make sense. I would buy that because, especially with Western religions, we would put... The overlay, Christianity is so big in our culture, whether or not you believe in a Christian God, you would see those themes because it's absolutely thematic in everything that our country does. Yeah. So it would make sense to put the benevolent and malevolent beings into a God context or at least a biblical language in order to understand, in order to be able to speak about it speak about something you don't understand in a way that you can at least get some concepts across without going, but it's not really this. It's kind of like that, but not really, but mm-hmm. <laughs> which would get you nowhere. Yeah. And I just like biblical fiction. I think it's a really cool genre. Yeah. It's fascinating. You can uh, do so much with it. Yeah. Stuff like the, the prophecy, one of the greatest movies of all time. <laughs> Legion. Constantine. Constantine was my next one. I was going to call it Hellblazer, but Constantine. It's good stuff. I like it. Yeah. So I don't think that this necessarily means that there is a Christian God in the X-Files, just that there are malevolent and benevolent forces at play. We've seen them in Kalashari and Dehand Deverletzt. Yeah. So it does bother me that Mulder doesn't get on board for two reasons. Spooky powers and you've seen this stuff. Right. And in the Kalashari, they said they've seen you. They know who you are. Right. This guy, damn Missed opportunity. This guy should have come face to face with Mulder and been like, I know who you are. He really should have. That would have been a great move. That would have been three times. Yeah. Ooh. Damn. They missed the ball there. Missed opportunity on that one. Oh, man. All right. Who are you shipping? You and Arlie. Arlie Ermy. Ermy. Everyone who shows up for that washboard recital is going to expect pralines. Everyone. Okay. Just so that you can... You were so excited that he showed up and so heartbroken when he disappeared. I was. 
Alright, I'm shipping... I originally had Scully and her faith, but now I think I'm going to go Scully and her gun. She needs, a, <laughs> she needs a better relationship with that gun. She needs to get her ass at the shooting range. Or never pull it out. Or never pull out. Or just not carry one. Anymore. They either need to break up or get together. <laughs> she can and, She can Andy Griffith the rest of the series. What does he do? He never carries a gun, even though he's a sheriff. That's a good idea. We should go back to that. Oh, absolutely. Police should not have guns. No, I agree. I think that's what I just said. Yes, you did. I was agreeing with you. <laughs> How are you surviving? Uh, I'm going to get Jesus. Are you? Is that going to help? That's how I'm surviving the episode. Yeah, I'm going to get Jesus. How is that going to help you? Jesus. <laughs> okay. With God, all things are possible. <laughs> I'm going to get me a guardian angel then. That's a good idea. All right. I'm going to have I'm going to hang out with Owen Jarvis and he's going to teach me how to whittle because that seems like a thing I would not have patience for unless someone really kind guided me along <laughs> every step of the way. Nice. The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. Edited by Dave Reed. You can find us on Twitter at Cast Files. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. You can email us at thecastfiles. That's the with two E's at gmail.com. If you could please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars and tell us that we are doing phenomenal things. Artistic, wonderful things. We are raising the bar on podcasting. We would love you forever for that. We have a Tee Public store. You can go buy t-shirts and stuff there. Music by Hal6. Logo by Art. That's O-O-K-A-A-R-T. Probably not. <laughs> can you try it for me, please? Okay, give me an example. I once gave counsel to a little girl. Oh, he's super Southern. Well, the first one is God tests our faith. Okay.